0: the lord be with you today bread of life today we begin our first sunday of uh, lent as we journey forward some almost 40 days now to easter through a season of fasting we began on ash wednesday i want to begin by asking this obvious question who among us is not anxious for good news Right? I mean, you think especially in this season, who isn't um, looking forward to something, some word of encouragement, of uplifting nature. And I'll just confess, you know, I wake up every day and I have that natural instinct to think something in the news, something in the progress of the vaccine or the pandemic. Maybe the weather will be that word that you wake up longing to see. Maybe uh, something in the mail, that's not a bill or an advertisement. We're we're, we're wired that way. Um, Thankfully, scripture just names that. There's this proverb in chapter 25 of the book of Proverbs that says, like cold water to a thirsty soul is good news from a distant land. Uh, Perhaps a more familiar one, Isaiah 52, is picked up in Paul's letter to the Romans. How beautiful are the feet of those on the mountains who bring good news. Um, We should at least be grateful, or it's helpful to recognize just how wired we are to be future-anticipating, expectant people. We live with hope kind of woven into us. And as we begin this season of Lent, we start very specifically with this declaration of good news from Jesus in Mark chapter 1 as Jesus begins to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, as he does this, um, these readings today, I'll walk through all four of them, the Psalm and Peter's uh, letter and Genesis, they're, they're linked together. So in some seasons in the year, in the Christian calendar, those four readings we read aren't all linked, maybe only two of them. But in Lent, they're linked. They're linked especially today as we begin this season of Lent, as we mark our kind of entry into it. And so we'll move through them. You'll see these connections. And so Mark's gospel, as it sets up this declaration of good news, leads us into these other passages that we hear today. And the good news that Jesus is proclaiming here is a really good word. You know, it's not the kind of news of good weather or that a Trader Joe's opened in Ithaca this week, which it did. Those are kind of these local temporary sources of good news. But that word in Jesus' day was a fairly unique reserved one for kind of an emperor's or a royal declaration. And this is kind of like news that if you miss it, you may miss all. But it's that kind of a significant message that Mark and Matthew and Luke all appeal to as they begin their gospels, these stories about the coming of the kingdom in Jesus Immediately, the audience would know this is like Caesar or a great emperor has declared a word. It's terrific. It's it's a um, global kind of word. Now, sometimes in the ancient world, these kings or emperors would um, would forgive debts or throw a long feast or release slaves or prisoners. That's the kind of scale. That's the kind of word that Mark is introducing the story he's going to take us through this year as we read Mark's gospel. This is Extraordinarily good news. When we get to Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 3 today, um, he picks this up, and we can see this if we recognize in uh, Mark's gospel, right before Jesus begins to proclaim good news, he's been in the desert with his temptation. It's a very quick, fast moving beginning of Mark's gospel. And in that scene, Jesus is in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted. And that's at the end of the 40 days, the beginning of the declaration of good news. Now we're in the beginning of Lent, just under 40 days until we come to Easter. That's the match of the journey. Jesus journeyed through that to the moment of good news. We now journey through these 40 days to Easter, where the death and resurrection of Jesus brings about the reality of the good news and the salvation that's come to our world. And so we walk through this season, and it's Peter that points to those 40 days and and makes it a symbol, makes it kind of um, something that ties us in to world and global history. He says that um, our baptism as we come into faith in Christ is just the same as Noah's baptism when he was in the ark. You might remember in Genesis 9, our reading from the Old Testament today, it rained on Noah and and the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. Just as Israel was in the desert for 40 years, that 40 signifies the waiting, the cleansing, the renewal of salvation for people. And so here, this 40 days and 40 nights that rained on Noah signify his passing and baptism into a new world. Now, after the rains and the story, it takes, I think, 100 days before the water recedes, and then Noah begins to send out birds. And he sends, at the final scene, he sends out a dove. And when that dove returns with an olive branch, a freshly picked olive branch in its mouth, Noah knows good news. The world has been restored. It's safe again. It's been reestablished for life. That's the kind of scale of what's happening when Peter points to Noah and then links that to our baptism into Jesus. We're born into this new world with a grand new word. Better than a dove returning with an olive branch. Christ himself, the creator, has begun to make things new. Now I'll pause. If you've read this um, reading in Peter that we'll hear together, there's this obscure line that has to be addressed or it'll just distract us. Um, Peter talks about God's salvation. And after his resurrection, it says, when he was raised from the dead, providing our way into new life, he says he went and he preached to the dead who were in prison. Now that's a weird phrase and it's obscure. And it's not entirely clear what Peter means by that. Uh, there's some people that think it means angels. There's um, books in like Jude or in Enoch, this book that would have been popular at the time. But there's angels in prison and that Jesus has gone to preach to them. Some think it's the, um, the, the people who've, in Israel who've been waiting for a Messiah and they're dead and Jesus has gone and descended to the dead and now preached to them or um, other kinds of ideas about those who are imprisoned. Whatever we make of it, it's clear what Peter is signifying to his audience is that this good word, this news that's gone out, this preaching, that's what preaching is. It's a, it's a stating, a declaring of a good word, is that it's universal and cosmic. It's, It's gone out to the dead. Like this is not a local set of news, but a declaration that has changed the whole of human history. That's the nature of what Peter's trying to get at. And we, by our own baptism, have been made part of that. Peter then goes on to say, look, baptism is not a washing of dirt away from our body, but it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. I mean, this is, there's unusual phrases in Peter's letter all throughout this section, and we wouldn't um, necessarily know what that means, a, a good conscience. In the New Testament, this is kind of an image for discipleship. It's our honing, our being shaped, being renewed into the image of God. It's growing in our moral discernment in the world. That's what a good conscience is. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we uh, talks about the purification of your conscience, we grow to recognize good and evil. That's what Peter's getting at. As we come into our Christian journey through baptism, we begin to grow. We can spot idolatry. We can spot sin because God's spirit is sanctifying, is purifying our conscience. We become better at recognizing our sinfulness. And that's the mark that Peter gives us as we're entering into our Christian journey, these 40 days. And we're remembering that habit of growing in our conscience. We appeal to God by being baptized. Make us holy. Give us moral and ethical insight into the holiness and the righteousness of your world. Show us where we've neglected to love you and our neighbor. That's the nature of that kind of shaping. It leads us, of course, into our psalm, Psalm 25 for today, a psalm of David. And the very nature of this psalm is that process. That's why this psalm is placed there. It's the shaping of the moral conscience of the people. Our ability to reason and grow in moral living. The the psalm, like many, is not um, organized, right? It doesn't progress. It's kind of a stream of consciousness for David. He begins by complaining about his enemies who are pursuing him. He's in suffering. And in the midst of that suffering, he thinks to confess to God, "Um, my enemies sin against me. Make sure I don't sin against you. Right out of the Lord's prayer, right? Forgive us as we've been forgiven. David's aware that his people have sinned against him. He may very well be guilty of sin. Remember me not according to my sins, but according to your loving kindness, David says. And I said this on Ash Wednesday, if you were with us in the service on Wednesday night. The suffering that we go through opens up our eyes to sinfulness. Not that we suffer because we have sinned in those ways, but because simply when we're in a needy position, we become aware of our own state, our own desires, our own conscience. And that's what David does. And then as he moves through this psalm, he'll do that. He'll come back to see and ask for help from his enemies. He'll confess his sins. And then he'll ask over and over again for God to teach him. That's what I'm getting at with Peter's idea of a good conscience. God, teach me to be like you. In fact, he just piles up the terms that are all from Proverbs. The psalm is often called a wisdom psalm. Make me know your ways. Teach me. Lead me in your paths. Lead me in truth. Show me your ways. Instruct me. Lead me to the secret counsel of God. It's this just kind of repetitive, redundant David wants to know how to walk wisely. If you know the book of Proverbs, that's what it's instructing. How do I live well? How do I navigate life? And David's praying, I'm in suffering. I confess my sin. Now, God, teach me. Teach me how to walk. Illumine my mind that I would know how to journey with you in this life. Change those ways that are wrong in me. The psalm is drawing us into that for Lent. That's the journey we should be on. In fasting, in waiting for 40 days for the proclamation of the gospel, we refresh our own moral standing with God. We confess what is wrong and we ask to learn what is right. So what will you do for Lent? It's the question I asked on Wednesday night in Ash Wednesday. What should I do? What do I have to do? There was a certain pleasure i confess i grew up in the roman catholic church and when i became a protestant in my teenage years i celebrated this idea nobody could tell me what to do anymore these religious festivals i didn't have to celebrate or or observe lent i didn't have to give up meat on friday you know there's this newly found freedom of somebody having to bind me by some kind of ritual but it would only take a number of years to realize How difficult it is to maintain this journey, this walk of growing in faith, of gaining a good conscience, if there's not daily reminders. That's the point of Lent. It's the daily reminders, having given up some pleasure, some luxury in this life. I have a daily reminder to pray with David. Instruct me in your ways. Teach me your paths. The end of this goal I mentioned briefly here in David's, in the psalm, is that we might come in with God to the secret council where he will make known to us his covenant. It's an interesting image. The word secret council is, um, it's like the friendship of the most inside group. And that's what the Lord is offering to David. I'll give you the secret council of my covenant where I'll make it known to you. It's like this image that we can't quite see into, but David knows that's where you want to be with the Lord. Back in the Genesis passage today that we read with Noah, God put a rainbow in the sky to declare, to remind himself of his covenant, that he would never again curse the earth. And so we take up in Lent some kind of symbol, some kind of pattern that would daily remind us to refresh our faith. So I phrase it to it this way. I'm as human as anyone. I don't want to have to give anything up. What will we do in the next 40 days to refresh our moral vision, to renew our devotion to the Lord, to regain and rebuild that longing for the secret counsel of the God who set his love on the human race? We set off in this journey, friends, and I pray for us, I pray for you, that you would know that walk, that you would be drawn in again to the secret counsel of the Lord, that you would begin to walk again with me in ways that are wise, ways that are insightful, ways that are pleasing to the Lord, that we might again reflect his love to the world and back to him. God bless us in this. Amen.